Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. We are going to get started today. I want to thank everyone so much for supporting the show, for joining today. For those of you listening tomorrow, which will be today for you, so the 27th on Tuesday, thank you so much for listening, for supporting the show. We are always so, and just constantly so appreciative because without you all, this show would not happen. We would not be able to do this show. We have a really important topic today talking about the failed coup that happened in Russia. And without further ado, I'm going to let Brian introduce that topic and talk about what happened. And then we've got a number of questions from patrons already. If you have comments, questions, things that you want to add, please put those in the chat and we will get to as many as we can. Thanks so much again. Really honored to be here with all of y'all. And Brian, go ahead. Sure. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, And again, to all of you who are patrons who are joining us on our seminar, just we can't do the show. As Nicole said, we can't do the show without you. We can't do it without financial support. We, in fact, need more financial support. We have thousands and thousands of people who regularly listen to the show. We can see the analytics. The show has a huge audience. The show that we did with Ken Hammond which is both a podcast last Thursday, but on Wednesday, it was a YouTube video. More than 140,000 people watched that show alone. I mean, this is this show is filling an important mission because people want to have alternative media. They want to have a socialist or a Marxist perspective on world events and a perspective that is rooted both in some degree of historical knowledge and objective faculty. and In other words, not rhetorical, but based on an assessment and an analysis of things as they really are. So we're really hoping for those people who might be listening to the preview of this show, who won't, because you're not a patron yet, won't listen to the entire show, become a patron. We really, really need to expand this show. If we had more patrons, we could expand our content production a great deal. Okay, with that said, The events over the weekend, the failed coup attempt by the leader of the Wagner Group, a mercenary military outfit that had been fighting in Ukraine alongside and in cooperation with Russian official military forces. Their leader, Prigozhin, attempted what appears to be a coup, a march on Moscow with thousands of military personnel after having seized a Russian military headquarters in the south of Russia in Rostov, a seizure of a military base that happened almost without any resistance. There are reports that the Wagner Group did shoot down Russian military helicopters. At least 13 Russian service people lost their lives in those shootdowns. And then dramatically, as the march on Moscow was taking place, and not that far from Moscow, really, there was an intervention by the president of Belarus, who was obviously working in coordination with Putin. And they had a deal arrived at with the coup leader, Prigozhin, who Putin had denounced as a traitor and engaged in treasonous activity. Putin went on national TV at perhaps one or two in the morning 
Moscow time and described the coup leaders as that. He didn't name them specifically. But the deal that was worked out was that the coup effort would end. The military personnel who participated in it, the rank and file, who may or may not have been misled by their own commanders, would return to their bases. And that Prigozhin would not be arrested because he is at, at that point was facing charges of treason, the most serious charges of all. He was allowed, according to what the reports are, to leave the country, to go to Belarus, to have asylum in Belarus in exchange for calling off the coup effort. So here are some of the questions that we're going to talk about today. Why did the coup attempt happen? What provoked it? Who was Prigozhin, the coup leader? Why did Vladimir Putin, the head of state in Russia, allow Prigozhin, who was described by Putin as a traitor, why did he allow him to leave the country rather than arrest him? Why is the Russian military working with a mercenary force, the Wagner force? Was the United States or its intelligence services in on the plot? And another question that I think we should discuss and will discuss is how did the events in Russia, the coup effort, compare with Donald Trump's efforts to remain in the White House after having lost an election in 2020? I don't simply mean the storming of the Capitol and the disbursement of Congress by the mob on January 6th. I want to talk about this compared to what Trump was trying to do, which was clearly to undo constitutional transfer of power according to the rules and laws of governance in the United States. So we have a lot to cover, and we only have about an hour to do it in. And I, I want to start by just putting this in some historical context. Of course, the U.S. media was, as anybody who was watching the media on Saturday, and I think many people were, I normally try to avoid watching TV. I don't really watch TV news. But I turned on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News because these were very dramatic events, possibly not only impacting the war in Ukraine, but changing global politics, depending on the outcome. So we all tuned in, turned on the TV, or listened or watched one way or another. And you couldn't help but see that the U.S. media, the corporate-owned media, which functions as an echo chamber for the U.S. ruling class, they were extremely excited. This was big news. This was really, they were really hoping that this would lead to either the toppling of the Russian government or the creation of such chaos inside of Russia that it would permanently weaken Russia and specifically and in the moment weaken Russia's war efforts in Ukraine. And of course, the Ukrainian military counteroffensive that had been announced for months and months and months has been launched in recent weeks, but it hasn't been doing that well. So there was obvious excitement by the U.S. media. I want to just mention it because, one, you know, if Prigozhin had been able to become the new leader of Russia, this guy who was a petty thief in the Soviet Union, a criminal who served nine years in Soviet prisons, and then after the counter-revolution that overthrew the Soviet Union, became a very rich man and powerfully connected, like many of the oligarchs, people who lived in the shadows in the Soviet Union, perhaps 
participating in a criminal second economy, an underground economy, or what might be called the black market, they emerged as the dominant force after the counter-revolution overthrew the Soviet Union. And the U.S. media was like very, I didn't hear anybody saying, well, what would it mean that somebody like Prigozhin could take over Russia, which has the second largest nuclear arsenal in the world? I mean, what does that actually signify or what might it signify in terms of stability? The U.S. media didn't care. They were just so excited over the prospects of a weaker Russia or the possible toppling of Vladimir Putin, who is so thoroughly demonized that most Americans must think, if they're getting their news from the media, that this guy is the devil incarnate. He must have horns and a tail. He is the ultimate demon at this point. And so the U.S. media was like, yeah, let's have a coup, even if it's led by Prigozhin, to overthrow the government in Russia. And thus, that would have given Prigozhin control over Russian nuclear forces. I mean, it was an amazing level of hubris, arrogance, irresponsibility on the part of the U.S. media. But I was also thinking historically, you know, 30 years ago or 32 years ago, the Soviet Union existed. The state did not rely on mercenary forces private capitalist armies. The Soviet Union included Russia and Ukraine as brother or sister peoples who had this long, long, long tradition of being one people, basically. I mean, old Russia, the Russian empire was filled with many, many, many ethnicities and nationalities and various languages spoken. But the relationship between Russia and Ukraine was a, you know, truly a historic relationship. That didn't mean that Ukrainian-speaking populations did not resent the Russian Empire and did not assert Ukrainian nationalism. That certainly happened. And in fact, the Bolsheviks under Lenin's leadership were able to forge unity between Russia and Ukraine on the basis of a recognition of the rights of Ukrainians to speak their own language, to have it as an official language in government work, that Ukraine and Russia were part of one single coordinated state-owned, publicly planned, centrally planned economy, so that Ukraine could benefit from the oil that came from the Caspian Sea and from Baku, from Azerbaijan, another sister republic in the Soviet Union. And Azerbaijan and Russia and the rest of the republics of the Soviet Union could benefit from the wheat and grain that was produced in Ukraine, which was seen as the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Those countries, those peoples were living in peace. And with whatever its problems and defects, and certainly the Soviet Union had many, and we don't have an idealized version just because we're socialists and the Soviet government said it was socialist. We don't have an idealized version of the Soviet Union, but we do strongly support the idea that it was an experiment, the first experiment with the working class and poor peasantry in the countryside took state power, retained state power, and tried to reorganize society to meet the interests of their class 
rather than the interests of the nobility, the aristocracy, and the capitalists, or the foreign capitalists. And during that entire period between the, the signing of the treaty in 1922, and it was formalized with the Soviet Constitution of 1924, all the way up until 1991, no mercenary armies, no private capitalist armies, and the people living together in peace. And, you know, when you think about where everything is right now, even though we have to take a clear view of the U.S. proxy war against Russia and understand the responsibility of U.S. imperialism in particular, but all of the NATO countries and all of the other European capitalists and the Japanese capitalist class, their responsibility for this terrible conflict. But with that said, we still just, it's mind-blowing in a way when you think about the last 30 years that in Russia, you have Russians and Ukrainians fighting each other and this coup effort by a private thief, capitalist, Prigozhin, who suddenly becomes an oligarch after the collapse of the socialist government in 1991, it's really tragic and sad. Anyway, I just want to say that. Now, let's get started with some of the, some of the questions. Why did the coup attempt happen? That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 